This is the Sister Squad with Morta, Nona, and Dekuma. <laughs> Nona. Nona. We'll just stop right now. <laughs> Welcome to Sister Squad this week. We have a few things we wanted to talk about, and um, we hope you will really like this episode. But first of all, we wanted to talk about Freedom Riders, a book, a movie um, based on a true story. And also we have a few thoughts on some botched surgeries that we've been talking about. And just a quick update on the mask mandate that is ending in Utah in how many hours? Less than 48. 36. Okay. In about 36 hours. All right. So anyways, um, Morta, why don't you... Tell us a little bit about Freedom Riders and Nona. You guys have really like delved into this topic and really know a lot about it. So yep. let's hear it. So I saw a TED Talk or I don't even know. One of those little inspirational uh, Facebook videos that come through about Erin Gruel. And she is, the <clears throat> she is the teacher that the movie and the book Freedom Riders and... And Writers is like W-R-I-T-E-R-S, Freedom Writers, was uh, based on. So I watched, like, I don't know how I missed this movie, by the way, in the when it came out. Oh I my never, gosh, it was so good. I loved it. I never saw it. It came out in 2006, maybe? Wow. 2006. And Well, and I was a teacher, so I watched it and loved right, it. Right, so... Yeah, I got nothing. I have no idea how I missed it. I had a lot of little kids back then, you know. So, did you watch it when it came out, Nona? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I just saw it. I don't know if I rented it sometime. I can't remember. You know, it wasn't like that I went looking for it, though. Right. Yeah. So, Dekuma, of course, you know, is a teacher. And who doesn't love an inspirational teacher story? So I saw this and I'm like, how in the world? That looks like a really good show because interspersed in the clips of the real Aaron Gruel, they um, showed little snippets of the movie with Hilary Swank and um, and like just the, the true story. So I thought, oh, that's really interesting. So I just took a deep dive, uh, found it online and either rented it or bought it or whatever and watched the movie and then realized that they had written a book um, about it. And so I just downloaded it on my Kindle and, uh, read the book and realized that the book wasn't like written. It was just written in the form of a diary, like kind of, um, how Anne Frank's diary was just like real time type of stuff. And so I thought it was really interesting. So to give the background, um, the movie is kind of where I got everything, and the movie does a really great job, is the movie starts out showing um, Los Angeles in 1992, like the, just some snippets of like the Rodney King riots, kind of like setting the stage of the kind of race relations and the gang culture of LA. And then you go to um, this school, uh, and the school is, what is it, Nona? Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Los Angeles 92, Woodrow Wilson High School, room 203. 203, right. 
And so anyway, you're, you're following this young idealistic teacher and she is starting out and teaching freshman English and it's Hillary Swank, of course. And she goes to this high school and she's legit in like a suit and pearls. And, um, she goes in and she talks to the, um, the head of the department of the English department. And who is the head of the English department, Nona? Uh, Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> it's, it's the Harry actress. Oh, is it really? It's the actress who plays Dolores Umbridge. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate her so much. So Erin Gruel. We, we love to hate her. Oh my gosh. She's a good actress. Because, you know, she's a lovely looking lady. But her smile just makes me think of Harry Potter and how much I loathe that woman. But she was evil. And she's still the same person. <laughs> she plays that person well. Yeah, she does. Like, she maybe she's typecast. I don't know. I've only seen her in two movies. But she is just a total witch. And um, no pun intended there. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It just came out. But so Erin is, like, talking about how she, you know, she's just so idealistic about how she wants to, you know, she had wanted to be a lawyer. And then she thought, well... If by the time I'm a defense attorney, like, these kids are already lost. I mean, the place to catch them is in the school, you know? And and her, the, you know, Dolores Umbridge is just so, like, I'm trying to think of a word. I just, just think she's naive. She's just got, oh, you're, you know, you're just, like, so, I don't want to say stupid, but, like, naive and don't know you know just right. like you don't have any idea you like, can't make a difference yep they're just jaded she's jaded and then she meets another guy another english teacher in the department and they're just jaded he's like oh you just put in a couple years in this freshman class and and then you know you'll get juniors and juniors are great and then you won't have any of these these hard kids and she's like well what do you mean he's like because they'll be gone she's like well where are they gonna go and he's like oh well they just eventually disappear and she says, well, and they're at the lunch table. So now this is like from the interview kind of to lunch table. She's like, well, if I'm doing my job right, you know, they should be lining up to come to class. And they just look at her. And then he looks at her and he's like, nice pearls. Because she wears pearls in a suit. To, like oh, you're yeah. so out of touch. Like, yeah. yeah. What a douche. Well, in, in, in a way, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, just her, just her saying, if I'm doing my job, they'll want to be here. That really is kind of, I mean, she's talking about her. But, you know, they take that as a personal affront. They do. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And they they should. You know, because they obviously, like, their attitude, you watch throughout the movie, their attitude is they don't really have any intention of of educating these kids. Right. They don't have any intention of, yeah, of, of offering them an education even. And let's just call the department head Dolores Umbridge for the rest of the, this podcast, because I don't know what her name is, and I actually don't care. So Umbridge says to her, kind of in the interview, like, well, it's just so sad that you weren't here two years ago, because that was before they had the forced integration of this, like, kids from the lower income areas. They were busing into this school. They're, essentially, she's saying that it was all upper socioeconomic a few years ago and Aaron says well no no no, I chose this school on purpose this was and that's when she tells him about wanting to be an attorney and wanting to wanting to teach kids and you know kind of catch them before they before they make life choices that are going to be detrimental to the rest of their lives 
And so, really, the movie is pointing out, like, just how racist, like, this woman is. And and also, not just racist, but classist. Like, you know, they're poor, stupid kids, and they don't want to be here, and they're just trash. And so... The best you can hope, you're not going to educate them. She says the best you can hope for is to teach them obedience when, when See, Aaron will want to... Um, when she wants to get new books for him to have him read, she wants to have him read something other than um, the, the department head, who is that's what her job is, Miss Umbridge, <laughs> the yeah. department head. She, you know, she's holding back the books. She won't let her. She won't let her get out any books. She's telling her basically that these high school kids that are freshmen. Are idiots and trash. They're idiots, and they need like basically picture books, the dumbed down, yeah, um, you know, like something for idiots, classics for idiots, or something. And they have books, but she won't allow, she won't allow her to, to give them the books. They've got brand new books, and they're she's just telling her, nope, thank you. She's apartment head, and they're not using them those resources because those kids will just ruin them. You know what so. I thought the first time I watched the movie? It's like. Those books are just sitting on the shelf doing nothing. Why do you care? Even if they burned them when they got home, maybe they would read three yeah. words out of it. Like, they're sitting on the shelf. No one's ever going to read them. What does it matter where they are? Well, the point was the books were more valuable than the students. Yeah, that's, that is true. Well, and I that's think it thought. reminds me. I thought that same thing, but I thought of it in terms of, like, the parable of the talents. You know, you just, um, you have something and you don't, you don't use it for, bury for it. like what it's intended. Yeah, if you just bury it and, and don't Save do it. anything with it. Where, you know, which when you watch the movie, you see that Erin Gruel, she ends up working three jobs. Her husband, who ended up being her ex-husband, you know, tells her she's the, because she's working at the hotel and she's working selling lingerie. <laughs> and he's told her, She's the English teaching bra selling concierge. <laughs> but she she puts her money where her mouth is, you know, so she's going she gets I think she was she was got a job, I think, working at the bookstore. I can't remember if she did or maybe she just got a discount. No, she just got a discount to buy it bulk. But bulk. then she got the concierge job to help buy her books. To pay for the hotels. And then she the hotels, the yep. But so, but so, I mean, she, not only does she want them to have new books or to have books, they didn't necessarily have to be new, but, but she put her money where her mouth is. She was working. I mean, she's working three jobs. Yeah. To, to buy them books and, and talking about just when in the movie you see, like when they get their books and they're looking at them, she get the first one she gives them, they're looking at it and they're like, this is new. I mean, it's never been touched. No one's ever yeah. given them a new book. Of anything. No, ever. Yeah. And they realize that, you know, that, they're, that they are worth something, that they can be trusted with a new book. And, you know, I think people that are used to racism, I mean, let's be honest, it's not me, but are used to being treated as second class. Yeah. Stuff. So... Yeah, I really liked that. 
I really liked, so like if you go back to the classroom, they kind of follow a few of the, the kids in the classroom. And the first person that they follow is Ava. And she's a Latina um, girl. And she's third generation gang. So it starts out that she, her dad got arrested for a drive-by shooting that he actually didn't even commit. But he was high up in the gang and it happened right out in front of his house. And so he went to jail for that. And pretty soon after that, she was like eight or nine or ten or something when that happened. And then she gets jumped into the gang. And she says that um, that they beat her. They beat us so you won't break. And now they are my family. You know, and so that's kind of like the where this one kid is coming from and she was uh, she had a parole officer and she said that her parole officer sent her to wilson so that like to get her away it was either go to wilson or go to boot camp and she said that my po doesn't understand that school is like the city and city is like a prison and she said that it's just made up of tribes um her her parole officer thought that maybe the Long Beach problems wouldn't touch her at Wilson, but she said there's the tribes are there. There's little Cambodia, um, the Asian kids, the ghetto that was the black kids. Wonder Bread Land is what she called the white kids, and south of the border, and that's her and her friends, or li- they call themselves Little Tijuana, and all of those kids are just like they have even at you know when they're out at lunch or before school or after school. They stay with their group of people and they don't cross over and and take over other people's territory. And if they do, then a fight ensues. And that's essentially what happened in Aaron's classroom is that it was a smaller version of that. And when Aaron really loses her freaking ever love and live in mind is when one of the kids passes up a picture of... Um, the one black kid and he's drawn with like really big lips and it's making fun of him. And that's when she goes crazy. Okay. Before we were rudely interrupted by the (laughs) two year old who needed a Spider-Man costume, not cartoon. We were talking about Aaron discovering the picture, the racist picture of one of the black kids. Sherrod. Was that his name? Nona? Something. I don't know. I can't pay attention to names. I don't know any of their names. Anyway, so she just loses her mind and she starts talking about, you think this is funny? She's like, everybody close your workbooks. We're not going to talk about the Odyssey anymore. We're going to talk about this. And and the kids, the Hispanic kids who've, who've drawn the cartoon still think they're pretty, you know, they're hot shit. And so she's like, this is how holocausts start. She's like, you guys think that you have a good gang? She's like, the best gang of all. Like, you guys are amateurs compared to this big gang. They took over countries. They just wiped out everybody that they didn't like. And these kids are like, yeah, that's great. That's great. Have, they have no idea what she's talking about. And finally, she's like, I've seen pictures like this. Only it wasn't a picture of a black kid. It was a picture of a Jewish man, but it wasn't one Jewish man. It was supposed to mean all Jewish people, like all Jewish men, like a long nose. And what else did they put on those cartoons during the Holocaust? You know, yeah, just whatever. The, the big ears, frumpy. Yes, right. 
And so they're all getting down with this. They think it's just still funny. And she goes, that's how a Holocaust happens. And finally, one girl in the back is like, what is that word, Holocaust? And she asks them, does anybody know what the Holocaust is? And not one of her students, this is 1994, not one of them has heard of the Holocaust. And the white kid. There's one white kid in the class. He had heard of it. Oh, okay. In the movie. In the, I don't think in the book anybody had heard about it. But I don't know. Anyway, so that's when um, she decides that they are going to read the diary of Anne Frank. And the one girl, Ava, the one who got jumped into the gang, is just pissed. You know, she's just an angry angry young woman you know and there's i'm sure there's lots of reasons why but once they start reading the books their lives change like they just see that there's this some this girl that someone else who's gone through something that is so completely dissimilar to what they're living through but yet very very similar and then that's when she decides to take them. Nona and I were talking about this before we hit the air about what museum that she took them to because we were talking about it's not the Holocaust Museum because the Holocaust Museum is in what Washington D.C. or is it in uh-huh. New York, Washington yeah. D.C. In- um, so um, Nona, the museum in L.A. that they went to was called the Museum of Tolerance. And they go to that, and just like in the Holocaust where museum, which I have not been to the Holocaust Museum, but I've, I know how it works, um, that you get like a, a, what, a card or something. Have you been oh, to the yeah. Holocaust uh-huh. Museum? Yeah, they give you the, a card with the name of someone who went to one of the camps, and you go through the museum, and as you go through, you know, you read different stories. And when you get done, you find out what happened to that person. Mm-hmm. And they tell you their age. Before you go through, it tells you their age and where they were and what camp they went to. And then, well, it tells you what they were before they went to the camp. And so in the Museum of Tolerance, and this is 1994. So I thought this was pretty advanced for 1994. You could scan like your little barcode in every little station and it would bring up what happened to them at this at this point in their journey, you know, like you could go along. And one of the kids, and I don't know if this is, I watched part of the movie today, but I have watched the movie, read the book, and I've read a bunch of stuff. So I don't know if I'm, what I'm mixing up. So I but apologize. That, that is how the Holocaust Museum goes to. So it, yeah. as you're walking through, you're you, traveling with their journey. You, their journey, mm-hmm. right. And so one of the kids finds out that his little kid died on the, and I don't know. Nona, was that in the movie or was that, why am I making that up? Um, yes, it was. And it, it just was like really, I mean, it just hit these kids in just a different way. And I think um, not just kids who live in the hood or, you know, live in an inner city gang ridden world, but everybody lives in their only own, their own little microcosm, their own tiny little world that you have to put forth some effort to look out beyond your little circle of people to see like what's going on in the bigger, badder world. So that was really when they started to kind of see what was, what 
like that there was a bigger world. Nona, what else did you think about that experience for them? Um, the museum or just um, or reading Anne Frank. Just that whole. Well, I I liked well the museum. You know, after the museum, they went out. They went to dinner at the hotel oh, where that's... she worked as the you know the concierge. That's and, right. Like she arranged them for them to have a dinner, and at each table, the students were divided, and at each table, that's right. There was a, a Holocaust survivor. survivor. Of, of, of a well of a, one of the camps yes so you know with their little tattoos their numbers tattooed on them and so you know they had they had the holocaust survivor yeah talking to each of the kids and i think just watching um watching which of course it's a movie but still you know what would be the same way just the reverence i mean you start the movie and you see like the chaos in their lives there's so much chaos and hatred. Yes. Um, there's no peace or anything. And you just contrast that with, as you watch them, you know, they're going, they get all excited. They're going on their trip and then they go. And you see, I like the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington, D.C. that I went to. It's just such a reverent place, you know. Right. Um, then that really carried on to they're in a restaurant. You know, if you've ever been somewhere, they're in the restaurant and they're talking and you've got this Holocaust person talking at each table, their experiences. And, and the kids are just so reverent. Yeah. Very mesmerized by. And and respectful. Right. No. And I think, um, just from where it starts out, it starts out in the movie. The, one of the very first things when they've got the new white teacher, and her little, you know, suit dress and her, her pearls. pearls. She's talking to them about paying her respect, and it was a big issue. If you watch the movie, you know they're like, "You, you have to earn their respect." And, and so, so it was like kind of a spat at the first of the movie, but I just contrasted that with in the restaurant, how respectful they were, and and. Just reverent and respectful, and I wonder if they ever really had a moment like that in their lives. Probably not, because I think a lot of them also, like, they had parents who were just, had grown up the same way they had grown up, and so they're, you know, their parents are, yeah, and trying, their parents are trying to do their best they can, or their parents are also in the gangs, or like Ava, and so that was really, really great. I did like in the movie when Ava gets to the end of the book of Anne Frank and realizes that Anne dies and she is just pissed. Like, why would you give me this book to read? I thought that she was going to live. And well, Miss Gruel was like, I thought, for me. pardon me? She's looking at that. Well, what she's saying in that book is, what does this mean for me? If she dies, you know, she's identifying with Anne Frank, and she's waiting for the win. Yeah. And because, you know, the Aaron has told them that, you know, basically she's teaching them, you're not victims. You've had, you know, you've got some challenges, but you can do it. You can be winners. You're you're not victims. And so as she's telling them, they're not victims, and they 
you know, they're starting to see that from themselves that, you know, they can do something, they can be something. And as she reads that book and finds out Anne Frank dies, what she's saying to her teacher is, what does this mean for me? Yeah. She dies in the end. No, what, what is the, and that's how she looks at it. What does this mean for me? Because she was, I think, had probably tied herself so much and understood so much that they were at similar experiences that it was devastating for her to find out that she didn't make it. Right. And then the, the other student says, well, she did succeed. It, even though she died, like, it's umpteen years later and you're reading her words. And, you know, that's that was Anne Frank's dream was that she wanted to be a writer and she wanted to be remembered after she died. That's right there in her diary. You know, that, she's a best-selling author. Like, <laughs> she was the best-selling. I mean, Anne Frank was the best-selling book for I don't know how many years. Like, that was the most wild, widely read. Now I think it's Harry Potter. <laughs> but still. <laughs> it all comes back to Dolores Umbridge, right? <laughs> Wizards. So after that, then they decided, you know, like, Miss Gruel has taken them to the Museum of Tolerance. And they... And then they decide, well, they find out that the reason why um, they have, we have Anne Frank's book at all is because Meep G's, or Geese, Meep Geese, um, the person who helped them hide, like saved the diary and gave it to her dad after, you know, after the war was over. And so her students are like, hey, Miss Gruel, why don't we write her a letter and have her come? And invite her to L.A. And so she's like, oh, I don't even know where she lives. I don't know how to do this. But she did talk to some people from the Museum of Tolerance or one of the local um, Holocaust remembrance type things and figured out where she lived and sent her a letter. The Anne Frank Foundation. The Anne Frank Foundation. You're right. Thank you. And they did invite her to come to their school to speak and um and sure enough she was coming anyway like this is what i found out in the book is that she was coming to the united states anyway and so she did also come and speak to them and what was interesting to me about that is like how livid and pissed dolores on bridge was and the other teacher like just the the little miss gruel who hasn't put in her dues she hasn't worked long enough is getting all of this attention and um wow crabs in a bucket man yeah, they thought it was about they thought it was about her yeah they they were mad about yeah her attention because she just comes in but really what it was is that she just proved them wrong well and she was that a better was teacher problem. bottom line like she did the hard work and she figured out a way to connect with these kids and you know back in the after like she was telling them about the Holocaust then, and this is where I stopped watching the movie today and I watched the movie. I think it was, we were originally going to do this before Christmas. So it's been a few months since we um, looked at this, but she, she um, taped a line down the middle of the middle of the classroom and she had everybody line up against the walls, you know, in each side of the classroom and she said, take a step forward and stand on a line if you have had someone you know has died from gang violence. And no matter how many of the kids 
Did all of them come to oh. the line? Except for the white kid, probably. Yeah, just about everybody, I think. And then she said, stay everybody. on the line if it was more than one friend. More than two or three or four or whatever. And several kids, even she said more than four friends, several kids were still on the line that more than four friends had died from gang violence. And I think that that was one of the things that broke down the barriers in the classroom was that stand on the line game because she had them. Um, what were the other things that she asked Nona to stand on the line? She asked if any were in a gang and they were like giving her, uh, she goes, oh, that's right. My, my bad. I, <laughs> my badness. Gang affiliation. <laughs> you can't have gang affiliation in school. Um, but she well she just asked him different things like has anyone been in juvie and the one girl says is a refugee camp count yeah because and so i think just different things i think really what what they started to see was we're more alike than different alike we're more the same than we are different and the dividing doesn't bring and the dividing doesn't bring any kind of happiness i think that even in politics that you know basically we're more we're more alike than we are different and when people try to you know say start pointing out the differences and and be angry and stuff it doesn't do anything it doesn't get you anywhere it doesn't do anything to make things better and it just makes you miserable right and i, and I that they oh go ahead i'm sorry to interrupt you well i oh i just think that they found that out you know that you look at the the happiness like as they go along and they're happier what i really liked is when when they were trying to save money Mm -hmm. having a fundraiser when because you know how they're all in their groups when the the white kids the one white kid from the class bumps into the one black kid and they both have their peeps with them you know they're both with their posse and so they they meet up they kind of bump into each other and the black and the white kid are slapping hands and doing their whatever moves and (laughs) Like and their friends are looking at him like, what just happened here? <laughs> their friends are looking at him like, what? So, yeah, I liked that. I just liked that. Don't you just love, love? <laughs> That's what that makes me think of. Yeah, I thought what I really liked was that um, I have never personally seen success in telling someone that they're a victim and that they can't. And that someone else is in char- is to blame for all of the problems in their life and for the reasons why they will never succeed. And, and like, I really love that she came in and she acknowledged that they all came from a really hard place. But she told them that they could be something else. That they could write their own story. And then she did all of the hard work to help them do that. So the reason why they're called Freedom Writers is that... Early on, she came up with this brainiac idea. She bought them all like a composition notebook. And she said, we're going to write. And um, I want you to write every day. I don't care what you write. I just want you to write something that's true. I don't even have to read it. I do need to flip through it to see that you're writing. But if you want me to um, read them, put them on this shelf. And I don't think she anticipated that anybody was going to want her to read their diary essentially it was a diary and she opens up the closet that she kept locked 
she'd unlock it at the end of the class for them to put their books in and lock it back up. And it was just full of diaries because I think they all wanted to be heard, you know, and to have a voice. And, and that's when they decided by the, um, by their junior year that they were going to write a book and, um, take the best of their stories and put them in their book. And it's called the Freedom Writer's Diary. And I just, you know, cause I like to read and, um, I downloaded it onto my Kindle and I also, um, got the audible version of it as well. So I could listen to it on my commute. And it really was, they didn't, um, they did not put names to who, who's entry. They just named the entries number, entry number one, entry number two. And at first I thought maybe like number one was a person and number two was a person. No, they're just numbered chronologically. One, two, three, all the way to 500 or something. Oh, right. And you know, Miss Gruel's, she would put one in every year and then they're um, in the book. They're um, separated by freshman year, sophomore year, junior and senior. And they really didn't want to let her continue teaching them when they were juniors and seniors because she taught the, the freshmen. She fought successfully to get to the sophomore year and then they, her department. You, you mean the school and the teachers, not the students. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The department head did not want her to teach them as, and, and the other English teachers didn't, the other English teacher didn't want her to teach them when they were juniors and seniors. And it's like, well, why do you want them? These were the kids that you thought would drop out, you jerks, you know, but it really, you don't even like them in the, in the meeting with the school board. Yeah. The teacher says, what does liking have to do with it, with teaching? Yeah. Which is so. Why don't you tell us, Dekuma, what does liking students have to do with teaching them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to like them before they can learn anything from you. I, if, yeah, it, they're directly correlated. Kids are going to learn. Some are going to learn no matter what, but if they know you don't like them, you can't even start. Well, didn't you have a teacher in junior high or high school that did not like kids? Mm -hmm. And you thought, what a jerk. Why are you teaching? Well, and nobody listened to anything like that. They said, it's like you're marking time. And you thought, what are you doing here? Go, you know, uh, I'm a nurse nurse practitioner, whatever. But most of the nurses and doctors who I know are just such great people. And they really do love their patients. Even the the annoying patients who are non-compliant, because that's very frustrating when you're trying to help someone and they won't help themselves. Even those patients, like, you know, we really want them to have live their best life and want them to have the best health. It is frustrating that they won't do what they're supposed to do to get better. But still, You still want good things for them. But every now and then I've met like a nurse who clearly just didn't like anybody. And I think you really need a desk job somewhere. (laughs) Counting beans. (laughs) What are you doing here? Like, why would you choose one of the most public service, face-to-face, personal jobs? I think people like that, though. The reality is people like that don't like anybody. I know, but why would they do it like pick a people job? It's like you need to like be a gardener. I think 
for whatever yeah. reason, they thought that teaching well, would be easy or, yeah, I, I don't know, but they, there are definitely people who don't like kids who are teachers um, and you just Marta, want them out. They want to be a nurse on TV. They don't want to be a nurse. Yep. They want to be a nurse on TV. <laughs> Same thing with <laughs> teachers. in the movies. Yep. It's like, this isn't like, we don't live on the Disney channel. Like <laughs> it's yep. called work for a reason. Yeah, I really was just so fascinated. So, um, like, spoiler alert, she does get to teach her kids all the way through their senior year. And their junior year is when they get the book. And they do end up making enough money. They go back to Washington, D.C. They, um, after they have Meep Geese come and talk to them. And she's the, she was the friend of the Franks who helped hide them. They wrote for to Zlata uh, Flipovich. And she was the, um, she was, they called her the Sarajevo and Frank. She, the Bosnian war in the 1990s. Um, she kept a diary when she was a girl about 13, 14, 15, 16. And her diary was also published and like her family, they had to escape Sarajevo. I think she lives in Ireland now, or she did for a while. I don't know where she lives now. But anyway, she also came to speak to these um, kids, to Miss Gruel's class. And um, it was so interesting because the kids did go on all of these trips. And she, Miss Gruel, did help fund them. But the, they did tons of fundraisers. And she got um, the media, like the newspapers involved. And they did have some fundraisers. And just as it portrays in the movie... There was a lot of like um, backlash for her kids like that. I just don't understand how you don't want somebody to succeed, like just so jealous and coveting. Well, they're not supposed to succeed. You're the ones that are supposed to be at the bottom so that I can be at the top or my kids can be at the top or like, uh, yeah, that know your place. Nona, do you remember? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, even with the other teachers, what I think, like how the other teachers didn't want them to succeed, they didn't want to make the effort. They didn't care about them. They didn't want them there in the first place. They were resentful that they were there because they were like a top tier school. And then they brought in all these poor kids and they felt like they dragged the school down. And they didn't want them there. They weren't shy about the fact that they didn't want them there. And then when she came in when Aaron came in and turned things around when they're telling her oh nothing can be done and not only she did she turn it around she turned it around pretty quick yeah you know in one year those kids wanted to be there and I think for yep and I think for those other teachers it wasn't just wasn't just that they didn't want the what she did shined a light on their failure Absolutely. I agree. The more she succeeded, the more success she had, and the better she did. And that those kids turned around and a lot of them, I think they mostly graduated from high school. A lot of them were, a lot of them were the first to graduate in their family. Yeah. And they went on to college, a lot of them. And as, as she, and their test scores came up, they were reading the hard books. She was buying them. She bought them bags of books you know they read four books in one semester and they were all brand new and she bought them yeah she was amazing and as they as they excelled 
and she showed them, you know, told them she believed in them and that they had value and made them believe that. Then they started to started to succeed and, and excel, which is basically what we believe. We believe everybody can succeed and excel. Right. You know, I don't, I think people are victimized, but I don't think there are really any victims. The victim mentality doesn't serve anyone. No, it doesn't. And that's, and that's what she taught him too. Like even, you know, when they were saying that they weren't going to be able at first, when she thought they weren't going to be able to continue on with her, and she told him, don't let, don't use me as another excuse of why you can't succeed. Yeah. You know, if you have to go and have a different teacher, you know, don't use me for a reason of why you're not going to be able to succeed. And I like that. And I think that was a lot of her success too. Right. You know, letting them see who they were, that they have value. I mean, cause here's one thing that it was just Diary shocking to me the first time I saw it was the girl who talks about that when her dad couldn't make rent and he gave him a pot, uh, you know, it shows him standing on the side of the road, her and her brother. Right. Uh, will work, you know. It's like, get out there. Way. They had to go, go out there and beg for money. Well, we'll work for food. I think that they were, he was tricking them out is what I think. That's the, that's the message I got. You know, I think they just had some horrific stories. And when that, um, what's her name? Geese, I can't remember. When she came, when we're talking about Doris, Del Dolores Umbridge, when she came and, and the kids, the one boy told her, you know, you're my hero. I, and she says, no, no, you guys are the heroes. Yeah. You're heroes every day. And Dolores Umbridge is over there looking. She at least didn't have a bitter look on her face this time. It was more, you know, like kind of maybe introspective and a little bit of shame. Yeah. Which, so maybe there's some redeemable quality in there for her. But anyway. So um, I did want to update you on the, back to the podcast. We've had a little mental breakdowns from the grandchild here at Daykuma's house. <laughs> it's rough. We've, we've asked your forgiveness if you've been listening to him cry. But anyway, um, so in the Freedom Writer's Diary that I downloaded, it's got a 10th anniversary journal entries and also 20th anniversary journal entries. And of her kids, you know, her original freshman class, she had um, several of them, like they went to college. Some of them struggled to pay tuition and had to like drop out of college and go back. But lots of them ended up being teachers. And they, uh, one of them talked about how they did in their class, they did the masking tape and the line in oh, their yeah. own, in their own um, classrooms. Um, they ended up going around and speaking all over the place. They went back, to, I told you they went back to Washington, D.C. Uh, they spoke probably before Congress about education and the need for, I don't even know if it was like education reform or whatever they were talking about. And, um, you know, just she, Erin Gruel left with them. So she taught them through their senior year. And then the local university in California wanted her to come and teach for them. 
And so she did that for a while. And then I think she's been writing books and doing other, she has a foundation that she um, heads up and teaches people how to teach um, diverse groups of students. But like the kids from her classroom have, have had a lot of success in their various, um, in their various ventures. You know, the one, the one young man, I forget which one it was, uh, he didn't grow up with a dad in his home and he is either a school teacher or a college professor, but he teaches and he's married and has kids and, and he thinks about how different his life is because of his class with Miss Gruel and the, um, and the Freedom Riders. And I thought that that, I don't think that there's a higher tribute than that, you know? Well, I was just going to say, I was thinking about her as like throwing a, throwing a rock in a pond, you know, Mm -hmm. and the ripples that, that come out and what, what changes, what things changed and how big of a difference she made in the world just by like what she went through just with those students in that classroom. And I was thinking about, the one girl who's the third generation, do you remember that her, she had to testify in court? Ava. Uh, yeah, that she saw, because she saw a murder. She saw, she knew the kid that had committed it. That, she, that they were trying to pin it on a, on this black kid. And she was going to, you know, she knew that that's what her parents wanted. That's what her parents wanted her. That's what her parents yeah, were teaching Yeah, she her. was supposed to protect because it was a Ten member of her own. gang, and you protect your own. And her, well, and her dad was in prison because somebody else testified against him, and he was innocent. And so, right. you know, she needed to do the same because it comes around, you know, sometimes it just happens that way. And so, but what Beep uh, Gee said to her was, you know, when they were talking about what she's doing, she says, and telling her she's a hero, she said, no, I just did what was right. I did the right thing and everybody can just be this little candle in the world and can do, you know, you can do the right thing and shine a light in the world. And so when she got up on the stand, she just like all of a sudden Paco did it. Paco murdered, you know, they're, they're asking her questions and she won't lie. And I think about that and think about that kid, that teenage kid, um, the black kid that didn't go to prison for murder that would have been destroyed. And, and what about his kids and his family? And just like I think about throwing a rock in a in a pond and, and the ripples and just what a big difference she made. Yeah. And that we can each be like that. <laughs> <laughs> we can. We can each be a light. Oh, Sarah, your talents. We can be oh, a candle Sarah, on the water. Talents. Can you sing that from Pete's Dragon? Do you remember that song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, badly. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah. Yeah, that was a great book. Yeah. Daykuma, you've been over here like scrolling. What you been looking at? Oh, just. Why is the teacher being so quiet? Well, because I just am listening to other perspectives. I have my own views. We want to hear them. And okay, I already know what I already now. know what I think and and I just want to hear what other people think. Um Okay, now we want to hear you. It's all you, Daykuma. Well, it's always just kind of that's the question every teacher asks is how can I be effective and 
this year I have been the least effective I've ever been in 24 years of teaching. And, and if I was effective, I would never know it because they have a mask on their face and I can just see two eyeballs and, yeah, and no emotion and it's tough. Yeah. And they're, I know that they're struggling because of the things that they say and do that I pull out of them. But that connection that they need, that I have always felt like I could really connect with students. Not all of them. You don't reach all of them. But but I can reach a good portion of them, you know. And this year it's just not there. And so, you know, reading. I, I haven't seen this show since it came out. When it came out, I loved it. And I just was amazed by what she had done. And, you know, just sitting here thinking about all of the casualties of the pandemic that the kids have been the biggest casualty mm-hmm. there. The fatality rate in youth is almost non-existent, right? Yeah. From COVID. From COVID. But the fallout from this and just every other aspect is astronomical. And so trying to reach them and teach them is so hard. It takes, it takes so much. It just takes so much that you have to get in and know them and love them. And you have to love them. You have to love their messiness, their problems. And I was just sitting here thinking about the kids that I have. I have one right now that I know is pretty close to homeless. And that's so hard. major food insecurities. Like if he eats, it's ramen. And another one that... Do you guys still have the food pantry there? No, the food pantry shut down because of COVID. <sighs> so the year that you would need it the most, we don't have it. Why? I think it was just like, at first you're thinking, like, am I going to transfer COVID? You're packing all this food. You're, I, I mean, but the, we buy the food logistics, from the grocery right, store. The logistics of putting it together on top of everything else that was going on was just was honestly too much and then my friend died who was the champion for it right what happened to your friend she died by suicide oh she was a she was a really great person she worked over at roy and um she died a couple years ago didn't she mm-hmm. it's been two years she'd kind of put that together and so we'd send home food packs on the weekend and we were like they'd come ask and then we put like two or three food packs in each teacher's room so you could hand them out but nobody's going to ask for a food pack in front of everybody i don't know who needs one like i can kind of guess and then just offer so what they started doing finally that worked really well is about on friday afternoon right before the bell would ring we just take carts of food packs out into the commons and into the hallways on the doors that lead out to the parking lots lead outside and the bell would ring and kids would go by and you would just offer food packs for the weekend to whoever wanted them heck cameron would grab a food pack every once in a while because he was going to football (laughs) and i'm like dude you grabbed a food pack yeah i was hungry okay well that's what it's for um so that there it also took away the stigma like you're walking out with a food pack it's not like oh my gosh you know she doesn't have food yeah, or he doesn't have food for the weekend no i got 
the football you know, team with their food packs. Yeah. Because they're, they're hungry. Like, Yay, food packs. Um, because it had enough food to go through the whole weekend for several kids. But, um, but knowing where they're at right now and just thinking what they need to survive. They don't need to be a victim to survive and succeed. They need to know that they can do it. And it's, it's. I like to tell my kids that they are not a stick on the ocean being tossed about by the waves. Mm -hmm. They are a ship and they have sails and they have a steering wheel, whatever they call that. (laughs) And you just got to run those sails up and you can steer your ship. I have done so many more inspirational units. We did one on inspirational people, and I used Sarah Fry's story, the little cheerleader from Clearfield that we know her mom really well and her family. Um, lost both of her legs in an accident last summer that she wasn't supposed to live. All these miracles kept her alive. But anyways, I, I used her story. Then I had them do a unit on inspirational people, and... And, you know, who did they pick? And what was cute is a lot of them picked their moms. And That's so sweet. Um, I had one boy pick Emma Smith, which was really cute. <laughs> um, but there were, there were just some great stories. But trying to get them to see past, I'm sitting at home with a mask on. And trying to get them to just to see the future and see what the future is. And to see people that have overcome really, really hard things... And that this is temporary. Yeah. And I still feel like it's pulling teeth. And if I, if you asked me right now if I was effective, I I just really couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what my students saw to me at this moment in time. From the looks on their faces when I'm teaching, um, it looks like their eyeballs. Yeah, it looks like they're watching paint dry. <laughs> that, that's what I think right now. I yeah. I don't know. Well, and you know, like, I mean, think back to your junior year or senior year of high school, like every year of high school seemed like 10 years. Like they, that was such a long time in your life, like every year of high school. So think from their perspective, this pandemic has been going on forever. Yeah. Forever. It's never ending. And it's no surprise to me that like... The mental health of everybody in the world, including the teens and the, and even younger than teens, but like the teenagers is like people's mental health is fragile. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. And you know, I, I honestly have come home for a year now and I crash in bed. I pass out like a zombie. I'm exhausted from worrying about them and worrying about what they're going to do and if I'm teaching them and if they're learning anything. And I've never had these concerns since my first year of teaching. Like, yeah, I've been pretty secure in what I've taught and I, I don't know. So I, I, I need the inspirational stories as much as anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I need this lady in my life. I sit here and I'll pull up a Ted talk. I, we get out at 145 and we've got that time to do like online or planning or whatever from then till school's out till our contract time is done. And heck, I turn on TED Talks and just listen to them and um, try and find, you know, something good to listen to and something inspiring to remind me that, hey, 
you know, this is going to end. This is going to end. So, you know, I'm listening to her story and it's good to listen to her story because it takes me back to a time when it was like, all I had to worry about were just the regular problems of students. Yeah. Well, Roy is a pretty diverse school, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you do have some, I mean, clearly it's no LA. Let's yeah, but, and, and and she had her students that would, they segregated themselves, and I still watched that happen. Yeah, you know, yeah, and that was that was really interesting to like hear that the Ava character, which is really a person, you know, based on a person, but um, when she said like, look, uh, this Wilson High School is just essentially a microcosm of the larger LA. And then Miss Gruel's classroom was also another smaller, yeah, little segregated area. The one yeah. white kid in the room was like, uh, "I don't even. I'm a man without a country." <laughs> yeah, you know. And the white kids in there were underachievers and yep. considered failures. So everybody had problems mm-hmm. in her classrooms. So yeah, I don't know. I it's I've just been sitting here listening. That's what I've been doing. Good stories. Good stories. All right, let's segue into our like our little after party, shall we? Since we've been at this forever. So I, again, at the beginning, we talked about mask mandate is, is almost done in Utah. We got 36 hours. So I posted today on Facebook, we are T minus 48 hours till no mask mandate in Utah. And most people are super excited about this. But I have some friends who are like, not excited about that. And I did not think this was controversial. Like you weren't trying to cause a ruckus. No, I was just happy. Like, see how happy my little <laughs> happy hands are. And people are like, no, it's too soon. And it's like, it's watch the numbers go up. And I don't think, I hope people will responsibly wear masks. And so my comment was to one of them was, you know, like, um, we haven't reached herd immunity, but we've certainly done all that we could to flatten the curve. And the goal was never to avoid all illness ever again. You know, like the vaccine's available and has been for the people who are high risk. If they wanted it, they've got it. And then now it's available to everybody. And if you still want to wear a mask, you can. Nobody's saying that you have to take your mask off. But the vaccine's 95%. Effective. Effective. Amazing numbers. Yeah, yeah. And so then I said to the one other, because my friends, and I love these women who've, who are concerned about this. So if they are listening, I love you. But um, the one person I asked, like, uh, what metric would you need to hit to remove the masks? You know, like the 1918 pandemic, the Spanish flu, that was influenza A. Influenza A never went away. It's still here. People still get influenza A and die of it. But we haven't been wearing masks for 100 years. So, like, what's the metric to, like, stop mandating masks? You know, like, the numbers have gone down, the vaccine numbers are up, and then the people who've actually had the disease are up. Yeah. So, no answers on that. Oh, let's see. And you can be, and the vaccine is available here at 16 and up. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, get an appointment, get vaccinated. Or wear a mask or do both. Yeah. 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 Well, I think 
One thing I didn't understand about effectiveness of the vaccine, that doesn't mean that 95, only five people get ill. It means that of the people that get, that will contract it, get infected, only 5% of them that will have um, like the serious illness. That's not the understanding that I have. That's what I read about in the, the article from the, what is it? The, oh, it was the explaining like what it meant. Cause I always thought it meant only five people out of, you know, a hundred would get it. That's not what the effectiveness is for like the Pfizer vaccine mm-hmm. of the people that get ill, because there are a lot of people that have been vaccinated that have that have gotten sick so but of the people that get it just like you're saying like the flu shot yeah that you still get the flu you just have less disease people still get the flu after having the flu shot and people have the flu and still get the flu people get have the flu shot but the flu shot hopefully protects you from getting seriously ill yeah that's that's what the thing is so in the first place I mean, we would hope being vaccinated that you won't get it, but even out of the people. So you're looking at out of, not out of the people, not out of the people that get it, that people will get it, but out of the people that do get it, but only 5% of those that get it like die get, and that's actually like probably a better number than 5% get it, you know Right, right, right. So the people that do get it only 5% will have serious illness. I guess, I mean, so, and that's... Um, the 5%... Uh, that doesn't mean five, the 5% are going to die. No, but yeah. 5% end up with more than one symptom. So you're 20 times less likely to get COVID if you've had the vaccine. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Then for the... But I think just just seeing like that, that doesn't mean because, you know, people because that's people were saying in the article that I read about it. They're like, well, all these people have got it. It was only supposed to be, you know, if it's 95 percent effective. And they said that's not what the standard for the Pfizer vaccine or. Well, and then I wonder, too, it's like, I guess my question is, is that like, yeah, sometimes you get the flu shot, you still get the flu and then you don't die. And then sometimes you get the COVID vaccine and you get the COVID and you don't die. And so I'm well, wondering it, for people, like, if if someone is that worried, because I'm not talking about, like, whether or not you should be worried about COVID anymore. I'm specifically talking about the government mandating you wear a mask. Yeah. And I think, what the hell? Wear your mask if you want it. Like, what are you, yeah. what are these people waiting for? Like, for... To think that other people should be able to exercise their right to take their mask off when, like I said, you know, my husband has been vaccinated now. I'm vaccinated with both doses. My son is vaccinated with both doses. And everybody else in the family had COVID the very end of December through the first week in January. We don't need to wear a mask. And we're all young and healthy. Well, you're not worried about getting it. You know, I mean, you've got it. You can get it again, but you're not worried about being really sick either. Right. You know? But then my point is, so, is that if we got it and we were ill, we would stay home. And if yeah. we got it, 
and someone else is worried about getting it, they should be wearing a mask. Well, that's well, that's my point. Yeah. That's my point exactly. Is you're not worried about that, right? Yeah. I, I guess the people that are worried about the mask mandate coming up, why won't they just still wear a mask and then leave the rest of us alone? That's where well, I'm at. Or, or just continue to stay away from people. Right, right. Because I'm not saying that I'm not worried about COVID ever again. Which I'm not super worried about it. I am. Uh-huh. You I'm know, as worried about it as I am of getting the flu. Right. Which is, which is the irrational thing that they have done to people is that there's so much fear around this. And yet it's like, this is part of life. You are going to have sickness in life. Every year, I hope I don't get the flu. Every yes. year, I can, still cannot get the flu vaccine. And every year, everyone around me gets it. And I think, please don't give me the flu. <laughs> yes. Whatever you do, please don't give me the flu. And yeah. now I'm going to think, please don't give me the flu and please don't give me COVID because that's going to be the new norm. Right. And I'm not going to be yeah. thinking that with a mask on. I'm going to burn that yeah. SOB the day that I can. Well, and you know, like if I, I think that the one thing that I hope that comes away from the pandemic is I hope that people will not go to church when they're sick. Because we've all been working in primary yeah. when somebody's snotty kid came in and they've got a snotty nose and like they look like they've got a fever because their parents I don't know why like didn't want to miss church or something um, well employers that penal- you know, penalize yes. you for staying home when oh, you're sick yeah that's and the worst it, that's actually worse than church how bad I hate the high school the 100% late and high 100% attendance if you go your whole year with 100% attendance the kids that have tardies that have to pay you know they have to pay to get rid of their tardies yeah do community service then they get their yearbook which is about $55 paid for right so the kids that have 100% so what they do is they come when they're sick and my daughter had an immune deficiency so she was sick all the time because no, people come to school sick. Yeah. They incentivize there's, it. Well, there's a lot of parents who send their kids sick no matter what. And I, I have never well, understood that. Yeah, I don't well, either. Well, by the time you get in high school, though, I mean, your kids don't need a babysitter. No. They, like, even for her, she was sick. She had pneumonia. I, I mean, she'd been to the I doctor. I have kids that she I am like, you need to go home. And, and they turn around and tell me, my mom will not let me. I can't go home. And then I say, that's too bad. You need to go home. You need to go call right now. I'm sending you home. You need to go call. This isn't, this is not. Yeah, you are too sick to be sitting in my classroom. And not this year. This year, I had a kid that kept coughing in class and he was reported about 10 times. This was in the first quarter. He'd been reported 10 (laughs) times before I made it to the office to say something. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got his name. Yeah. So hopefully, and I think too, with the number of people that are like, I'm still teleworking and the emergency evacuation thing is over, but they've still got us teleworking. So hopefully I think maybe employers will see too, that with people teleworking, they're not going to come in and get everyone sick in the office. Mm-hmm. You know that you have, you know, when people are sick, they can actually stay home. It's much easier like if I feel like crap just walking into the you know to my office next to my bedroom and working yeah well what we did find out is that teaching sucks on zoom 
and that Zoom is like way less effective than they ever thought it was going to be. Online teaching, mm-hmm. all of that, even for work. Work is work can be done telecommuting, but like meeting with people. Like if that's what you're doing, if that's what you have to do, it's like you're meeting with people all the time. It's better to be in person, but it also made it possible for people to work far away. And when it's not possible nor convenient, you don't need to fly, you know, across the country to have a work meeting. You can just turn on your Zoom call. Yeah. And talk to them and get it done. Maybe go visit them once a year instead of four times. I've been doing training and I much prefer, I always hated in training, like, you know, you're kind of trying to stand behind a person, standing over their shoulder, directing them, okay, do this, do that. Or they'd stand behind me at my computer and I try and show them what they're doing and they're looking over my shoulder. I much prefer this where I can just share my monitor with them and, you know, we're talking and they're sitting comfortably in their chair and I'm sitting in mine and I can show them exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do too. I do enjoy. I much prefer that. I think it's like the the schooling is the one that is just terrible. It is not good on Zoom. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. If you were a remote kid, like you're in a, you know, on a reservation or on a ranch or, you know, and you needed to do remote school, yeah, that's that's fantastic. But yeah. I just so I was just looking at the COVID cases. Um, today is April eighth. The last reported day was April seventh. New cases were six hundred and twelve. The seven day average is three ninety eight, and that has consistently gone down. Like our the last time we were about that average was September 9th. right after school started. Mm-hmm. Yep. September 9th of 2020, the seven-day average was 397 and headed up. And now today it's 398 and headed down. Because yesterday the seven-day average was, or the day before that, I should say, is 404, 418, 520, 580, like up, 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 up. And so, I mean, it's taken a sharp drop, you know. And let's see. They usually have how many people have been vaccinated, too. I'm trying to look and see if I can see if <clears throat> they do where the numbers that. are. That's on Desert News. They'll put the number of vaccinations. I know. It usually has it on KSL, too. But, yeah, I'm super, super excited for the masks to go away. And I will still have to wear them at work, and I'm happy to do that. Like, I don't have a problem wearing it at work. I work in healthcare, and, you know, I, I don't think that... I'm not politicking that I have to stop wearing a mask at work right now. That's fine. But I think in the next several months that we should just go back to the regular amount of, um, we have isolation precautions. And if someone comes in with a fever, then we need to assume that they're COVID positive until they, until their COVID test is negative. And we have rapid COVIDs that we're getting in within like 30 or 45 minutes. And, and then we usually um, can, you know, figure out what else is going on with them so that we can um, isolate appropriately. If they have anything respiratory, then we're going to be wearing masks and goggles and gowns and gloves. Um, and then if their fever is from 
like a urinary source, then we don't have to wear that kind of isolation. If it's from a skin infection, you still have to wear gowns and gloves, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that's that. Um, Nona, did you want to take us through botched? Let's do botched another night. Oh, we're going to take botched another night. It is late. Sorry, guys. Next time is botched. I saw the headline, Utah Latter-day Saints getting closer to normal church activities. Oh. Did you see that? Yeah. Nice. Uh, two days before the statewide mask mandate lifts, local leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been instructed to begin developing plans to return to all regular church oh. worship and activities. Oh, goodness. i got to go to church again now. That's one thing I've enjoyed. <laughs> The Utah area presidents, he sent a letter Thursday to stake presidents. <laughs> Dakeham has been on a little bit of a, a sabbatical. Like they, they, only go to, they only go every other week still in her stake. I go every week. I just go to sacrament meeting and then we have Sunday school or relief study, you know, young men's, young women's elders quorum at two o'clock on Zoom. So... Uh-huh. So we're going to have to go back for two whole hours. Oh, the humanity. (laughs) Thank you for joining us this week. We're always amazed that people actually listen to us.